welcome again to our pastor's Bible study here at Desert Foothills. We're in the Gospel of Mark, and we're a little halfway through the book. We're in yeah. chapter 10, and again, Mark's uh, recounting all of Peter's stories and sermons and, and accounts of uh, his time with Jesus, and it's a very rapid pace. number of things happen uh, in succession here. Not a lot of transition verses or interludes. It's just kind of this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and that's basically what we go through again today yep. in, in chapter 10. And it starts with the topic of divorce. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. They said... Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. When they, uh, when they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Kind of an interesting uh beginning piece is to jump off with this chapter with Dvoris here, but sure. it's not Christ who does that. Interestingly enough, we see that it's not even that's not even technically the key subject matter of what's happening in the text, right? It right. says in verse two there that some of the Pharisees come and they're testing him. They're actually just using this subject as a way to be able to try to get at Jesus mm -hmm. at this point in his life. Yeah, I've heard a lot of different, uh, I won't say commentaries, maybe sermons or Bible study, different pastors take on this on this particular passage. And I think a lot of Christians, um, I don't know, they get possibly get tripped up on one, one part or the other. But I think it's really important to, like you mentioned, the context is so important. Like, this wasn't Jesus sitting down and teaching about the, like, and this wasn't even a sincere question. No. Like, the whole purpose of the question was to try to, test Jesus to try to trick him into saying uh, a, a teaching of his would be contrary to a teaching of Moses. And they were trying to get him to say that something controversial uh, publicly. And they, I mean, the Pharisees actually, actually have, I think, a very specific piece of knowledge to be able to make that come true, right? Because uh, Herod had actually, in his relationship, gone after another woman that was inappropriate and during that time, John the Baptist had actually really spoken out against that. And John the Baptist, they see, you know, obviously gets thrown into prison. We see his demise later on. And so there seems to be a piece that, you know, maybe if that happened to John, mm -hmm. we can also get the exact same thing to happen to Jesus as well to be able to go after him and kind of at least trap him in this moment. Right. Now, uh, in Scripture, there are acceptable reasons in God's eyes for divorce. Sure. Um, adultery 
is one of those things. Uh, Matthew 5.32. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7.15 talks about how um, uh, I think malicious desertion hmm. is uh, maybe the phrase. Um, but that could be obviously anybody who's abusive. That would be maliciously deserting the marriage. And so those, anyway, adultery in those, in those cases, the offending party has already divorced themselves from the marriage. Uh, they've ended the covenant vows. Yeah, yeah. And so the certificate of divorce is just kind of this legal public acknowledgement of what had already been broken. And maybe... So I think uh, one thing that we have to be careful about as, as pastors, obviously, in counseling couples or, or one spouse maybe in the relationship is um, yes there's God's design for marriage and we uh, enter into a, a Christian marriage uh, with a servant heart um, also though we aren't going to obviously counsel people that they should stay in a, in a dangerous relationship yeah, yeah. Um, the most important thing is to, to get to safety um, and it's not physical, it could be verbal abuse, emotional abuse. Um, but get to safety is the most important thing. So I, whatever. I grew up, I guess, you know, in um, decades where it was, whatever, pounded so hard from the pulpit about how sinful divorce is, how mm. sin, don't ever do it. I had, uh, I'll share this, in my congregation in Chattanooga, uh, a lady had just, uh, come back to church after maybe 30 years of not going to church and the reason she quit going to church was because um, when her husband uh, cheated on her and they got divorced her pastor called her out on a Sunday morning in church and said stand up in front of people and apologize you know for your sin of divorce I mean I'm surprised she even came back after 30 years <laughs> I know I know. I hear th you do too, right? I hear stories and I, that I say, I don't blame you, right? I wouldn't be in church either if somebody treated me that way. Yeah. So Jesus goes on, obviously, he, 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 so whatever. Pharisees are trying to trap him, pick a side. He says, no, this is God's design. It's, you know, two become one flesh. What God has joined together, let nobody separate. And yet, because of your hardness of heart, because you are sinful people, uh, people need to be safe. People need yeah. to have, or children need a better home to, to, to be raised in, nurtured in. Moses did allow, whatever the law did allow for these certificates of divorce. Yeah, and not that there's no forgiveness, I think, available in some of these mm -hmm. scenarios. You know, there are people, uh, maybe for your first example there, of someone being unfaithful in the marriage relationship, that, yeah, they have committed that sin, but they have it some way been able to be able to ask for forgiveness and come back upon that too or maybe it's for the piece of uh you know any of the other things you mentioned you know we still offer that element of forgiveness too and that's right. why i think for something as touchy as this it's not like you know here's the format does your relationship check these boxes then you should go to the divorce route you know did this happen with this caveat oh you could probably save your marriage let's see you got a 50 percent chance you know but it really is looking at it as an individual situation with that individual couple and saying you know Absolutely. what where is this situation at what does this look like 
And that's why I think your point of counseling is super important for anybody who's in a marriage that has any type of problem or right. just, I don't even call it a problem, a situation that you're yeah. dealing with. At some point in your life, if you have been married for any even small amount of time, there will be disagreements. And some of those we can heal on our own. And some of them, sometimes it, it's good to be able to open up. Maybe that's a personal friend you have. Maybe it's a parent for uh, some people out there. Who knows? But being able to actually speak about those things and not just keep them bottled up and, and not ignore them at the same time either. Yeah. That's a good point about checking the boxes. Uh, yeah, every case is separate. I mean, I've seen couples get a divorce over things oh, I would consider to be pretty mild. Oh, yeah. And then I've seen, I have seen couples actually get through an adulterous yeah. affair and, and reconcile and yeah. have a healthy you know, relationship to follow that, which is hard to imagine. But it's possible with God. It is, but I guess, you but know, everybody... we, think, we think about the forgiveness of Christ for all of our sins. And I don't know, that's how I always try to put through the looking glass of everything, right? Like, mm -hmm. if God can forgive us for the multitude of things that we do, there can be healing in relationships. But there are also times, again, to reiterate, that somebody's safety is the, you know, the yeah. biggest thing. And like you said, it's all different scenarios, and you got to take them as they come. But again, back to the subject matter, it really is the Pharisees here attempting to tempt G or trap Jesus, but Jesus giving us that main point. I love that verse 9. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not separate. Mm -hmm. I know that's words we typically say within a wedding ceremony, you know, mm -hmm. let, let no one put asunder. And right. you know, that is a, a great piece for everybody there to be able to remember that marriage really is a gift from God. This isn't some state or even at this time, some government-created uh, entity. It is something that has its place within our world, but really it comes down to God is the one that has the authority over this. Yeah. All right, done there. Do you have any more? That's good. Next. All right, let's jump to the next one. Uh, jumps to a different subject matter, the subject of children. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the little children into his arms, and he put his hands on them, and he blessed them. All right, so, yeah. Beautiful text. Again, another word that we say typically when we're doing baptisms, right? Yeah. I think this is one of my favorite ones because typically most of the baptisms I do, and I assume you two, are for children. Sometimes there's an adult, but sure. this is a great one to be able to use with children and for the adults to be able to hear because I think it corresponds in multiple ways. Yeah, don't prevent the children from coming to Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> don't yeah. get don't get in the way of uh, don't be the the roadblock between Jesus and children. <laughs> and so maybe maybe we need to maybe we need to share this right. Like, why would the disciples be doing that? Why would they be saying like, no, don't go to him? So well, we're gonna see some things here in this chapter. Um, that there's there's a trend going on, I think, with the disciples, the apostles, the twelve with Jesus, where. Jesus, obviously, if you notice, we start every chapter, and crowds were coming to him. And he went here, and crowds were coming to him. I mean, his ministry is really building. His popularity is nearing its peak. Um, he's he's a, a celebrity, probably the first celebrity ever hmm. who, you know, people knew who the emperor was or Caesar or whatever, but for just a person, 
in, in the world. I mean, there were no TV stars or YouTubers. I mean, that, that's interesting. He's like yeah. the first like civilian. I don't know, like common person mm-hmm. to be a celebrity. Hmm. Uh, anyway, so his friends, the guys that are closest to him, are starting to kind of feel this kind of exciting, you know, vibe. They're like, man, we're really popular. This is his entourage. We, we jumped on a good, you know, <laughs> train here. We're, we're we're really going places. So you see a little bit of this pride, a little bit of this important self-importance. And it'll, again, when we get to the end of the chapter, we'll, we'll see it pretty blatant. But whatever. So for right now, um, and you also got to think of, uh, uh, generally speaking, generally speaking, in the culture in this time, children were not uh, as... Uh, revered. Revered. Yeah. As revered as they are today, I would think. Um I think we know that. Oftentimes, they wouldn't even, you know, they wouldn't even name their children till they were a month or two old because they were just like, I don't know if they're going to live or not. Let's just see if they make it. Yeah. Um, Before we bother giving them a name. Um, Certainly in the secular uh, world. So at any rate, you've got these children, you know, they're snotty nose, they're screaming, they're going to tug on your, and and Jesus is a very important person. Yeah. Prominent. They don't want to waste his time. Yeah, it's like, get, get out of here with these kids. Get them, get them away from Jesus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, I like, you know, uh, Jesus was indignant. Yeah, it's an interesting word. What it's a, a really strong word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you think about Jesus, the meek and mild pictures of Jesus, you see, he was indignant. He's like, how dare you yeah, mm-hmm. stop these children uh, from receiving a blessing from me? Um. And then, of course, he uses the children as this great example for all of us, yeah. right? And our relationship with God. Yeah, this visible lesson that's right there before him. And, you know, I like those words. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Because he uses this as a teaching moment. We'll see that in a moment from now. that he starts putting into place these allegories, if you will, to be able to share something with us. And you think about that heart of a child. Uh, for many kids, it's just so kind, uh, trustworthy, wants to be able to invest. Most children aren't worried about major problems within mm-hmm. the within the world. Certainly not going to try to trick him with a divorce question. No, no. I mean, yeah, they're right. To him very innocently. Yeah, these kids, they're they're just coming, and I love his response. Right, uh, physically taking them into his arms, being able to you know embrace them. And then blessing them—that's such a—that's such a special thing, uh, man. That, this would be another one, and I'd like to meet one of these children in heaven one day. Yeah. Just saying, you know, what was that moment like for you, for like the Son of God to physically bless you oh, as that child? You know, and, and what were the repercussions of that in your life and for others as you moved forward in life? I don't know. Very special moment that's here. Yeah. And I don't think this is a big stretch, uh, but the, the fact that Jesus was indignant, um, I think not just that you know they were preventing the children, but I think he was indignant that that these adults, these disciples, thought that they had some, I don't know, merit or some special standing before God. Like they had this mm. mature relationship. No, I can talk to Jesus, but these children, they don't understand what's going on. And, and Jesus... Oh, yeah. And so the point he's making, you... We all come to God as little children. You, we're all ignorant. We, we, I mean, we can't do anything for ourselves. We Actually, I think, to... I don't, uh, not a stretch. I think that, let's hold on to that point because mm-hmm. I think in just a, a little bit from now, there's another section that it comes to 
that really uh, <laughs> hits upon that again of disciples thinking about that status concept, right? Mm-hmm. Or that eliteness. We'll see that in just a moment from now. Right. All right. Verse 17, the rich young man. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell at his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Oh, did I skip a verse? Verse 20? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. So uh, the young man said, oh, yeah, I keep the Ten Commandments. I've done it my whole life. And so he, he looked at him, he loved him, and he said, well, one thing, you need to sell everything, and then you can come and follow me. And then verse 22, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them, persecution, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. <laughs> All right, lots of, lots of stuff, lots of stuff. Yeah. Uh, maybe just focusing on the rich young man, just jump right in there. Uh, this concept of, you know, it's funny, because he, he comes to him, right? And I almost see this piece of like somebody, I don't know, wanting to show off almost a little bit. It seems it seems like you know, hey, I, I've kind of I've done all these things. I, I, you know, I got these commandments. I follow all of them. But Jesus really sees it his heart. And I say that with a, a special, I don't know, uh, internal look at myself too that we can do of the times when I think, oh, I'm so good, I do all these things, God, I got it covered, we're not as bad as these people in the world, like, no, I do some pretty good stuff, I could have been a lot worse in my life, but one thing you lack, he says, and you know, God could say the same to each and every one of us, right, well, what's the one thing you lack? Well, any time that we've ever chosen any sin and temptation over God, that is the, I mean, we lack that self-control to love God above all things. And he tells this man the same thing. He just happens to point out the His peace for one, him. Yeah, yeah, this man's pet sin. Or yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Or, yeah. And it could be the same for any of us. Or it could be different, right? Maybe we have one on this day or one at this phase in life and one at a different point. But again, he uses it as this teaching point. 
And when he says, verse 22 there, the man's face fell, that word picture in my mind is so just impactful. Because you think about somebody, right? They got that, that look on their face and just literally just dropping because they know they've been cut to the heart with the law of what's happening there. And you just see, at least in my man, this mm -hmm. sluggard just walk away as he's downtrodden. And God uses that as that teaching moment, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And he's not just saying just for this one rich man, but again, any of us that are focused just on things of this world, and that could be anything. doesn't mean you have to have monetary wealth. You could be a pauper, but be focused on something else, whatever your temptation is, and it can still be hard <clears throat> to enter that kingdom of God. Right, I think you are a great, a really good point. I, I look at uh, Jesus' words in verse 21, that one thing you lack, you know, and, and think, why would Jesus have these words, like his answer to his question are these really harsh words of the law, like admonition, instead of, oh, gospel's free, you're, you believe in me and you're saved. Mm, mm. Um, but he goes, uh, he, he counters immediately with this really hard demand. Um, but I think the point is, yeah, he knew, his, he knew the man's heart and knew what was the number one competitor for, uh, for God in his heart. And for him, it was his possessions. And he said, you gotta, you have to slay that false God. Um, you, and like you said, it could be anything yeah. in our in our own lives. I think for a lot of us, though, it is tied to material things. Maybe it's not money or wealth, but it could be, uh, I don't know, uh, vacations or what, whatever. I was going to say kind of leisure. time. What right. about time wrapped into what you were saying? Yeah. Vacation, leisure, it's all tied whatever. In, into the present world, the yeah. temporary things. Time that we're just constantly investing in everything else to be able to feed us when we should be investing, you know, in, well, that which is eternal. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this passage here is a description. It describes what happened to a young man one day when he came up to Jesus with a question. This is what Jesus said, da da da. And uh, a distinction that we need to make when we read God's word, obviously. Um, what are descriptions? What are prescriptions? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I've heard, again, falsely, like these turned into a prescription. Well, this is what happened to this man. This is what we have to do. Yeah. And uh, yeah. we need to be real careful about, well, this happened one time. Yeah. And, and how happened. rich was this guy? So, we, yeah, what's the income level that all of a sudden everybody's doing this? Yeah. Right. But, again, the underlying lesson of our heart uh, being fully devoted to, to the Lord is the key, right? Um, that's the obstacle that we all we all face. Well, I I like that too. The disciples are like they're crushed. They're receiving it. It's not just this one guy that receives this as a teaching moment. The disciples yeah. are crushed, crushed, and ask that question. Well, who can be saved? Like this, they knew what he was saying, and they're like, this right. is this is impossible. So yeah, that was interesting too. I think about that when I read it. I think about because there's a couple of possibilities there, and they could be both, I guess. But I think I mean on one hand. Not much different than today, but in this day and age also, or especially, I mean, the wealthy were considered blessed by God. Yeah. I mean, if somebody was wealthy or a king or, I mean, well, God ordained them, God blessed them. Wow, yeah. they're really blessed. Yeah. And so they're seen as kind of this, they've got this kind of special blessing kind of hand of God on their life. 
And now Jesus is saying, man, it's almost impossible for those people to get to heaven. And they're going, wait, what? Yeah. Like, you just kind of flipped our world upside down. What do you mean? Interesting. That's I, a great, that I like a, that. I like that. It's just kind of... But I think, again, the lesson there is for still for everybody, right? It's not uh, the circumstances in our world that show us where we are in God's favor. It's not even our own health or wealth or anything else uh, as we... You know, our job, we've got heaven, right? That's yeah. secure. So our job here is just to share the love of God and Christ everywhere we go. And sometimes that's easier done in, during hardships because people are going, oh, wow, that's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. turning my world upside down. How can you still be thankful when you're going through this? Or how can yeah. you still be have faithful, have faith in God when you, when you face that? Um, anyway, well, there's that. To go to go along with that, like I think you're right. The answer becomes a total reliance upon God and all things, not a reliance upon these others. And that's actually the answer that Jesus gives them. Right? They say, "Who can be saved?" And Jesus looks at them and says, "With man, this is impossible. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what you do. Even if this guy goes off and sells everything he has, and then goes in debt to be able to give away more, still impossible with man." Right. But not with God. All things are possible with God. And he doesn't say that this is not a piece of allegory or story. This is the truth. Like literally everything is possible with God. And this is how we receive that salvation. All of us that are those sinners that have gone after all those things, that have done all these things in the past, even we saw in our scripture today, we only receive that life because it's possible with our Lord. Right, yeah, and that's the great message of the gospel, right? We can't save our own soul. It's impossible. God has to do that. And the way God is able to do that is by what Jesus predicts in the next section. Here it comes. Jesus again predicts his death. Verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. It's an interesting line there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, he took the twelve aside and told them, what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. That sounds great, Jesus. Lead the way. Let's go. You wonder why the guys are in the back are afraid. The apostles are astonished. This guy keeps getting crazier. Yeah. He's, this keeps again, this getting is, worse. This keeps getting worse. Yeah. Like, what's next? Yeah, what? Yeah. And if it sounds familiar to you, like maybe you heard this before, because yeah, this is the third time in Mark mm. uh, where Jesus is mm. telling his disciples plainly, clearly, exactly what's going to happen. And each time he adds a little more detail. And this third time, uh, what he talks about, uh, hand over to the Gentiles. He's going to be mocked, spit on, flogged. Um, there's a lot of them. a lot of clear details here in what happens, right? That, I mean, that's what makes part of this so real is Jesus really does lay it out uh, in simple language. What's what's going to happen? You don't take that word killing like Man, maybe he means something else or flog. Maybe he means something else. I mean, he's being like you said, literal with uh, with his mm-hmm. disciples. Yeah. Well, and there's the the whole point. Of why he was born. This is why Jesus came to earth mm. to die for our sins. That's a horrible thing. Um, they were right to be afraid mm-hmm. and astonished. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jesus goes on anyway. And then 
<laughs> yeah. There's two. Remember Peter, James, and John, the, the, the kind three, of three inner, inner circle, right? Yeah. The, they're, they're still, even after this moment. Yeah, so Jesus just talks about this horrible future. Uh, in verse 35, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Then James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want to do. Uh, we want you to do us whatever we ask. Now hold on. You heard a kid come up to you? Yeah. And with a statement like that. Yeah. That I just want you to say yes. It's like, well, all right, guards up. My daughter just watched this well, movie. Wait a second. I, I didn't. I didn't see it with her, but she told me it was called. Uh, like yes day or something in which like the parents have to say yes uh, for like 24 hours to what the kids say and they're like this is a really bad idea and i see that like in this right like <laughs> hey you know they're asking the question already we need the answer before we right. put out there what it is just say you're gonna do it yeah that would go great for kids yeah yeah or so, even for adults yeah anyway. just for disciples so jesus doesn't say yes he just says uh, what do you want me to do for you yeah and then 37 they replied let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Now, mm. obviously, these are places of high honor. Mm-hmm. Right, the whole term, your right hand man. Like, you're my right hand man. Yeah, yeah. Like, literally. Yeah, you're on I'm our right. here today, yeah. All right. Uh, so they're wanting this uh, esteemed, I mean, this high, high honor. In 36, you don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. Well, we can. We can. Yeah, oh, sure. Just like the rich young man. Yeah. You, Jesus said, "You have to keep the Ten Commandments." Oh, I, I do yeah, keep the Ten I Commandments. Got, got yeah. it down. Yeah. Since I was a boy. Uh, oh yeah, we can. Jesus said to them, "Oh, you, know, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or at left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they have been prepared." Now, you can imagine how this went over with the rest of the disciples. Verse 41. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant. They are indignant now. With James and John. So Jesus called them together. He had to settle this. Calm calm everybody down. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Mm. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead... Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so this is what we were talking about a little earlier, as far as the the excitement and the pride and the anticipation that the the apostles were, were having with the big crowds, the popularity, and... They're going up to Jerusalem. You remember the uh, apostles were astonished. That's kind of maybe a little afraid, but maybe a little excited mm. too. They're thinking, okay, he's going to march into Jerusalem and just wipe out the Roman, you know, uh, presence there. Just going to say, all right, I'm the new king of Israel. Yeah. And they're like, I'm going to sit on his right. And I'm going to sit on his left. This is going to be great. And, yeah. Uh, it's not. It's not to be that way. And I, I, that's why I like Jesus' response in verse 38. He says, you don't, you don't know what you're asking. And so I think this, I'm not going to say it's a stretch, because it, it's what happens. Uh, it may not be what he and they are exactly referring to, but you think about what happens at Jesus' right and left as things go forward from here. I mean, 
at his right and his left are two other individuals that are being crucified, you know, with him in that moment. And that's where this path leads to. And, you know, that's what Jesus is kind of, you know, referring to. Can you, can you drink from this same cup? You know, Jesus says those words in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? When he is at his just wit's end, uh, that he is so stressed out and he calls out to the Father and says, you know, if there's any other way, let this cup be taken from me. And you, again, you see those same words here. Can you drink of this cup? You know, this is what it's going to be like. And the disciples just don't have that, especially these two, that understanding in here. And even them, you know, they're still going behind the other guys trying to get this special place because they really are focused on themselves, just like we saw with the children. Well, don't let the kids bother them. You know, we want a piece of who this Jesus mm -hmm. is. And that seems to just continue throughout the scripture text. I think there's also, uh, for the church today, uh, still that temptation to want to, to operate uh, from a place of power, from uh, kind of throw all our eggs in, say, the political basket or uh, the civil uh, whatever. To, even we, the church today, are still tempted to say, oh, see, if we, if we had that power, you know, if we could, I don't know, legislate, I don't know, blue laws or Sundays where shops yeah. are closed yeah. and you have to, if we were in a position of influence, then, you know, still, then we could, ah, we could really share the gospel, but that's an illusion. Hmm. Um, Jesus talks about this, right? If you want to be the grace, you're the servant of all. Mm -hmm. um, the way... The early church uh, won over so many of their neighbors was this humble, servant, loving yeah. attitude. It was just this overwhelming, countercultural, selfless lifestyle of, of serving neighbor that uh, you, can't, you can't change a conscience or a heart through a law can't what was it you can't legislate morality yeah that's a common yeah. phrase no that's a good one um right you we, we win people over by loving them um and so i think uh, it's pretty obvious to me anyway that at least in our country the church is becoming less and less influential in culture and we can mourn it and grieve it um uh, but at the same time i think we need to be looking for the opportunity, the new opportunities that yeah. are going to present themselves. Yeah, uh, it's very much like the early church, outside of the, the public square, outside of authority, outside of influence, uh, but still able to turn the world upside down. Yeah, that's a good way to put it because I think most people don't recognize that that this would have been really outside the box of a way of getting to people. Uh, even just this, you know, look at Christ and his disciples; they're literally walking from town to town, meeting with individuals. And then the individuals are spreading that mm -hmm. word from there. I mean, we don't, it's not that we, we have more availability at our fingertips than ever to be able to do that. But, you know, do we use the, the, the simple methods or like you said, new methods mm -hmm. uh, to be able to get that gospel out there? Yeah. So they have this little battle here. And interestingly enough, uh, Jesus gives like this little uh, lesson to them here too. And he says that... <clears throat> You know, those that, who are regarded 
as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. You know, and he's saying, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. And we see this everywhere in our world, don't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't even think we need to take time to be able to point it out because this happens. This happens everywhere where people try to lord power or authority over another. Because when we do that, it makes us feel higher than another. Mm-hmm. Whether we're comparing ourselves to somebody that we're not as bad as them, or that we can do something better, it's something negative that really is built into us from from sin. But this is when God changes that, and this is, I think, is a huge application piece for us as disciples. He says, "Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Mm-hmm. Uh, for even the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to uh, serve and to give His life as a ransom for many." Mm-hmm. So, I mean, He says, "Not so with you. You know, if you really want to do this." This is what needs to take place. And so important for us to remember as Christians. I think even when we, those times when we feel like I'm right in this, like I know I'm right. Well, you hounding over somebody that you are right on something. What is that? What is that going to do? Is that, is that winning them over? Do you really, and not that you want to concede on things, not that you want to act like you're wrong at certain times, but it is important, I think, for us to think about uh, taking a softer approach with people and what that what that means or being able to lift people up because sometimes that's the only way to be able to win someone over it really is mm-hmm. all right any other comments on that one from your side that's good don't right. be don't be don't fall into the temptation of power as yeah. if it's going to be better or easier yep. life or easier uh, evangelism because it's not all right last piece uh blind bartimaeus receives his sight then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Another example of Christ's healing. Mm -hmm. Um, oh, I got a quick non-theological point. Okay, just well, a, a language thing. All right. So the his name Bartimus. Bar is uh, Hebrew or Aramaic for the son of, just like Mac or Mick. Okay. Or O uh, O Riley of Riley. Yeah. Son yep. of Riley. Yep. Mac Donald would be the son of Donald. Okay. Si- uh, Peter calls. I mean, Jesus calls Peter. Peter Simon Barjona. Yep. Simon son of Jonah. So. Barabbas, the son of his father, Abba, Barabbas. So that's where that all comes from. So Bartimus, that is the son of son Timaeus. Of Timaeus. So, so learn a little Hebrew. Very good. So I'm going to the bar. So I'm going to like the sun. And then... Yeah. Yeah, it should be. <laughs> okay. Should be. Okay. Interesting people's it responses. It might be DA too. I don't think so. Pina. I, don't I think, think it means son of Pina. I don't think so. I don't think so. I'll look that up later. Yeah. I doubt it. There you go. Uh, interesting the response here. Uh, that the people have, right? They're going through, 
Bartimaeus begins to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people rebuke him. You know, they're kind of like, ah, Bartimaeus, like, please stop. You're embarrassing <laughs> us. Like, don't do this. You know, they actually tell him to stop, and he gets louder, right? Yeah, he shouted all the more. Yeah, I, I mean, that. that's that's the sense that he, I guess, he has. He can't see, so he uses the verbiage that he has uh, even louder to be able to call upon Jesus. He doesn't worry. He's not worried about what the other people uh, think about him. And here's where Christ stops, and he says, call him. And then they kind of, you know, elbow, cheer up, fine, fine, <laughs> get oh, yeah. on your feet. And he's super excited, right? Throws his coat. Yeah, which would have been, especially as a blind man, Probably one of the main possessions he has. Probably something that he needs. But in this moment, not important to him. You know, it's funny because every a lot of these other stories we just went through, it's all about what people have. They want it. He casts it aside to be able to go to Jesus. So he jumps up. He goes to him, and vice versa. And we just heard the disciples going to Jesus and saying, "Hey, uh, we want you to give us whatever we're going to ask for." And just, well, "What do you want?" This time it's vice versa. Jesus comes to him and says, you know, what mm-hmm. would you like? And he could have told Jesus, are you, look at me. I can't, I can't see. What do you, what do you think I want? But Christ gives him that, that opportunity and he doesn't ask for riches, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he asks for this ability to be able to see. And sometimes when I look at something like that, I do wonder how often we skip over some of the most valuable things that God has given to us to be a, a part of, whether it's our seeing, we talked about today for somebody in our congregation, the hearing, uh, or any of our senses or abilities, and we just throw them aside like, oh yeah, I can do this this morning, I can do that. But how valuable that is to somebody who knows, right? He is, Bartimaeus has never had this, he doesn't have the sight. And so this is something that's super valuable to him. And sure enough, Jesus, you know, gives him this this great gift and then tells him to go. Your faith has healed you, right? I like I like that too. Yeah. Uh, that you believed you believed in me. You kept calling, you kept shouting it out, and it's this faith in you that is giving you this this healing, not something that you have performed on your own. Yeah, it's another great miracle. Um like I said, points to a lot of things that we take for granted that he obviously was super excited about. And then from there, last thing, uh, immediately receives a sight, follows Jesus, right? Uh, yeah, along the road. Yeah. And then so he's there at uh, Palm Sunday. Yep. So we get to that next week. All right, sounds like a plan. Well, thanks again for joining us. Uh, remember all those things we have to tie together today. Uh, maybe challenge yourself in a couple of those different ways. Not that you're going off and selling something, but that we're focusing on the Lord. We're focusing and even just giving him thanks for that which he has provided in our life. Uh, always something I think that I learn every week, even when we go over this, or that's reiterated in mm-hmm. me. So let's make sure, as Pastor Mark mentioned, that we're doing that application in our own church as well. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this uh, time to be able to be in your study today. Uh, continue to inspire in us. Uh, that great faith that you have created, uh, that you sustain, that you grow and strengthen in our lives, uh, to be able to go out and be those servants unto the world, uh, that people may be able to hear and experience uh, your great word and love, uh, even through us. Even if we are sinful people, Lord, uh, heal us of those things. 
even take a brief moment and pray for all the uh, marriages and the unions within our congregation, uh, that you will continue to have your hand upon them, to strengthen them, uh, that we will not look to things of this world, but they will continue to always look to you and the gift that you have provided uh, in this great union. And finally, Lord, uh, just for everybody out there, we thank you for the union that you have provided uh, through your son. Uh, continue to be able to grow us as your disciples, not so that we can have uh, a better place of authority or better position on this earth or even in heaven, but Lord, so that we may again be able to share of this free great news that you have brought unto this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Always good having you here. Yep. We'll Have see you week. next week.